Well, hey, and welcome to episode 19 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, in today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss what it means to be dead to sin, how to put sin to death, and we also talk a lot about what we feel like God is calling our church to in the new year. As always, if you haven't yet listened to the message from Sunday, I do encourage you to, to go do that uh, before continuing on in this episode. That message can be found at quadcity.church or on YouTube by just searching Quad City Christian Church. Well, without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey guys, happy Monday. Good morning. How are we doing? Pretty oh, good. I'm so refreshed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty good, man. It's good. Good. Yep. Uh, hey, figured we could talk a little bit about uh, today on the front end of the show, um, Christmas in full swing here in Prescott. Prescott is Arizona's Christmas city, I've been told once or twice. Uh, I'm not really sure what that means, but it does mean that there's all sorts of stuff going on downtown, right? So I know, Josh, this is your guys' first well, kind of first, like settled Christmas in town. You guys got here around this time last year, twenty uh, third. Yeah, it's 23rd. yeah, we That's were right. driving across. We got here just in time to go to uh, Christmas Eve here. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so being a little more settled, or you guys have done like the? Did you do the lighting parade and the? We did the it both. Courthouse yeah. lighting. Yeah, nice. we did the parade uh, Saturday afternoon. That was fun. Got to hang out with a couple of staff were there and church folks. You know, there's. It's weird. Prescott really is a small town, like. You yeah. really do see so many people that you know, and you know, like Judah's teachers were all in the parade. Like the whole school was there, and uh, it was just fun. It was fun to see that and to to be a part of that. And it, it was like, oh yeah, sweet small town, and this felt really good. Yeah, good. What? Uh, tell me what the boys thought of the lighting. Yeah, so the lighting was an interesting experience. So we got there. Somebody told us it started at five. Uh, it did not start at five. Mm. The music started at five. And um, the internet lied to us. So we get there and we're there about five. It's not too crazy packed. Um, so we're standing there in the road, like right out in front of the courthouse on Gurley. So right looking dead ahead. And uh, so we're listening to people sing and it's starting to fill up. I was like, ooh, it's starting to get a lot of people here. So I was like, okay, I'm a big guy. I'm just going to stay still. That way people can judge off of me <laughs> where to stand. Right. I get it. Like, I understand. Like, I'm, you know, I'm like, ah, yeah, it's considerate. Yeah. I'm sure. trying to just be, so I might literally, my feet don't move. I'm like, I plant them. I stand there. We do not move. There are a couple of uh, the Gibbonies and Lorenko's were there. They got to hang out with us. We're there. Buddy Eric, we're doing a CTO with us. So we're a, a good squad of quad city folks are there. We're chatting. They're telling me about Prescott Valley's. Apparently, this was the first time that Prescott and Prescott Valley did them on the same evening. And yeah. I saw some pictures of the PV one and it looked really cool. Yeah. Like, it was huge. So maybe, so maybe next year. They have a skating rink over there, apparently, mm-hmm. I was told. But anyway, so we're standing there, and it's okay. It's getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And then all of a sudden, I feel this lady really close to me. Like, she is three inches from my backside. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> she is close. I look over at Eric, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to take a step forward. And he's like, it's like traffic, man. If you move, she's moving with you. Sure enough. I just tried to like take two steps and like I inched forward and she just came with me. And then she sang in very, this how I hear mo older ladies sing hymns. It was, that's how it happened. And I was right in my ear. Like it was just right there the whole time. We're singing all the hymns and all this stuff, which was cool that we were singing hymns about Jesus in the middle of the town. Really awesome. So we're in the in the middle of the singing, and then my boys are like, I have to go to the bathroom. And we were with the Chatham kids, uh, some of our staff folks. And uh, so them, they all go to the bathroom and leave, and they missed the lights coming on. Like, the <laughs> only thing that we were down there for, they missed it. Like, completely missed it. They got right back in time to see the fireworks, which they loved. You know, to see all the fireworks. But, yeah, yeah they stood there for an hour and a half, and then they were in the bathroom for the lighting. But did they get to hear Luke 2 read from the courthouse steps? They did. There you go. He read a version that I went, 
because he made he made he made a reference. He was reading it, and I was like, "What in the world version is that?" I don't know what version they're reading, but it was really intriguing to me. <laughs> he just said something. I was like, "That's not ever. I'd have never heard that in my Luke two story." Hmm. Something went when he got to a part of Joseph. Hmm. So, um, and they read it like broke up. Yeah. So it was a little different. It wasn't like succinct. But yeah, man, yeah, it's it was like a really program, cool. right? Yeah. They do the read a part of the reading, then they do a song, and then the whole thing ties together, whatever it is. Yeah. So my question is those kids that they just invited. Hey, if you're a kid, high school or younger, come on the steps. Like, have they been practicing those songs? Zero percent. No. no, they're not, they're not singing. They're just standing on the steps. Okay. They're not doing anything. Okay. The old lady behind me was she was singing. Yeah. Ooh, she yeah, was yeah. getting it. All in my ear, guys. Like, <laughs> and I'm just like, Dinah looked at me at that point. She's like, hey, you, you want to come stand by me? And I was like, no, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, again, I get it too, man. Like, I'm a big guy. So, I tried to, like, be very still. Didn't sway or rock or anything like that, but she wasn't, she wasn't getting it. Well, welcome to Prescott. I, am, I feel like I am official. That is. That's a big deal. I did like, both of them all in one day. Why do they not do them closer together? It should be a little closer together. Yeah. And they probably just have to clear all the stuff from the first event to get to the second. Yeah. But it's like, then you got to go eat. Yeah. But it was, yeah. I feel like you just time that better. You just, you're down there. You get more food trucks or something. And then you just, yeah, you could still eat if they were an hour and a half apart, two hours apart. Like you'd you have plenty of time to go find a restaurant downtown. Actually probably promote you just stay in there. Cause it's like at the point at this point, it's like, you've got to go. Cause if you've got kids, you're not hanging down there for four and a half hours. Nope. Even if you go eat, you're still not hanging out downtown. So if it was a little closer, they may actually promote a little bit more downtown business. Yeah, that's what I thought. But it's a cool event. It is a cool event. I did hear often that we are the Christmas city of Arizona. Whatever that means. How did we get that title? I don't know. Uh, Lots of lights. Is that... (laughs) Is that all? I don't know. Is that all? The lights were better this year. I will say that. I think they did, really? they did a really good job. Yeah, they went a little higher up in the trees. But normally it's not maybe as high? Yeah. And then they're on, right, the rest of the year. Yes. It's not like one shot, you can't ever see it anymore, it's Correct. done. No, okay. every night they'll, they'll flip yeah. on. So, yeah, when the sun's down, you'll, you'll see them. And then in the morning, too, you can usually catch them before, uh, like before 7, usually. Huh? Cool. So, yeah. So then there's another thing coming, I guess, if you're a Prescottonian. Packer night. Which I don't really, they said that, but I don't really know what that is either. Okay, so if you look right out this window, so we're recording this in the green room of the church, and there's a giant window that is looking north, that is Acker Park, right there. Oh. All of this. Didn't know that. That is called Acker Park, and it's a guy, and he donated that land to the city, and is why this great view will never be developed so that was part of the deal it's just gonna stay natural so we can't buy that and build on it but this guy also loved music and so they do this big music thing downtown so starting at five at the square they'll have some music and then every little shop and restaurant every business will have its own band playing and so what you do is you just walk around and you get your hot chocolate and you go from shop to shop from business to business and you listen to all of these bands how many years have you played in this brendan uh a couple yeah just just two maybe three okay yeah are you playing like christmas music we don't oh okay. most people do i'm not a christmas music guy like uh if christmas music was good we'd listen to it all year round right so for me it's like no i'll go play like if someone needs me to go play music i'll go play music but i'm not playing christmas music so it's a little uh like that's a hill i'm willing to die on okay i'm not gonna go spend three and a half hours and all the time rehearsing and just to play christmas music i'm not into it so you're playing like covers yeah yeah yeah. yeah. for us we're like because most of the most of the acts are um there's a bunch of music groups around town where, uh, you know, they'll, they'll get together and play. It's like their hobby, hobby yeah. thing. And that's what most of these are. There's a couple of fairly decent bands that do original music, but most of them will get together. They'll, they'll do Christmas music. It's a little older stylistically. So you can always bank on, uh, whenever we would play, we would be the one that is playing like recent relevant music more mm. than anything else. Or like, uh, 
early 2000s pop punk covers like that was us so gotcha. we're playing weezer and yeah and stuff like that yeah uh because if we're gonna go do it it's gonna be fun for us right so that's that's usually what we would do so this is like a family friendly event it is yeah, yeah okay cool yeah it's like they start at 5 30 so you can get out do the thing for a little bit grab a cup of hot chocolate or whatever and then still get home at a decent hour yeah um so it's worth it's worth checking out yeah for sure if you're a music person for sure yeah I mean, I like music, good music. So if it's yeah, there's music. Yeah, there you go. There's <laughs> there's Enough usually said. there's Enough usually said. a couple of pretty good, like pretty talented. I got you for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth going to check out. Cool. Well, hey, uh, let's dig in a little bit to this past Sunday. Um, Josh, you were uh, you were preaching this past Sunday. Great job. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Um, we were in. Romans chapter six, uh, and and you tackled really verse like fifteen to twenty three. Uh, that's kind of where we spent the most of our time. So I'd just love to start the way we typically do. Hey, what what stood out to you, Jason? Well, I guess first off, I would like to say thank you for calling me out for being the guy <laughs> who set you up to make the black guy preach on slavery. So I appreciated the shout out. You're welcome. On that one. You're welcome. That was great. Yeah. Uh. But I thought that was, you did such a great job of helping set the parameters of what Paul meant when he was talking about slavery. And yep. so that was really, that is a really important piece when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you dig out the idea of you offer yourselves, you offer yourself. So in, uh, as you said, Sunday, they, that doesn't make sense in the American right. 16th century model of slavery, but it absolutely does for Paul. And yep. so they would have gotten that. And so the idea that we are actually willing participants in the thing that is making us slaves, it makes a whole lot more sense when we understand that context. So great job on pulling that out. Yeah, it was great. Again, I thought you did a, a good job um, just across the board. <laughs> Uh, uh, exiting the text and, and just kind of going through it line by line like we do. So great job on that. Um, the one, I guess if there were a, a question that I was left with um, that I want you to answer or have an answer for, it would be this, <laughs> right? So Jesse said, we were dead to sin. So if we're dead to sin, why is it, why is it so easy to keep on sinning, right? Yeah. So that's, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. And so I also want to say, man, what I love about our team is um, we're, our sermon process is so collective. So there were a couple of pieces that were in the sermon that were, because we talked through it and run through it, Jason has some great tips to add into it about what does our slavery look like that comes out of usually our freedom. So that was a great addition, I think, that helped people frame like, oh, yeah, that was me. Um, I, you know, obviously Brendan helps some moving some pieces, some real practical stuff to help tie in what we've been talking to. So we keep that thread and then David and Ken really core everybody on our team. So man, just always grateful for that collective impact. That it's not just us having to think through this in your head and making it the best that it can be. So again, just kudos to you guys and being part of the team. Um, so to answer the question, so I, I think what Paul is saying in the text is you are dead to sin if you choose to obey your new master, right? Like that's the, I think that's where it comes back to for, for me, like so much of our, like sin is still going to be prevalent. Sin is still going to be crouching at the door. Sin is, sin is still going to be in our everyday midst. But I think for a lot of us, what, what the issue is, is we, we have easy believism. Just think if we believe we're good and then we don't have to do anything about that. And that is what I, the more I've read Romans as we've been in it, that is like the big picture. I think that Paul is trying to just drive home. Like you book in the first sermon, obedience comes from faith, obedience that comes. And like over and over, you just keep seeing this theme of you have to actually obey. Because if you do not obey, you are going to be stuck in your sin. And you're going to keep obeying that master. And so part of it, again, I think that's that's where it really lies is we as people, we, we just don't really obey. We don't really actually do the thing that God calls us to do. So I think of my life, where I am now, and we talked about this, I don't know, probably 10 weeks ago, but where I am now compared to what was 10 years ago is a lot different. But it wasn't overnight that I've gotten here. 
it was like a Brendan used the word, the blocking and tackling of the faith, doing the things over and over and over and over again. And so that's how I think of, of my faith is I wish it was overnight. I wish instantly that all of the things that I struggled with disappeared, but it's just not how it was. There's still things that God asked me every day. Am I willing to die to that stuff and live for him? And he's asking me, will I actually just submit? And I think what it boils down to is that I just don't think we actually submit and are willing to follow Jesus. So those sins, when they get in there, they just stay and they spread. And then, again, I think they, they infect everything. And so some of them, and I think some of them are just, we've been doing them for a little long time. And they're really hard to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. That's good and, and helpful. And I'm, I'm with you around the idea of easy believism and just the, um, again, I think this, uh, misconception of faith being uh right uh feeling driven or or just yeah cognitively i believe this thing when the reality is like what paul lays out this obedience that comes from faith um like tells us like in and of that that line in romans one tells us that like what is our what is our faith if there is no action surrounding it right if there is like if it's not driving us to something do we believe the thing Right. And I guess that's what I keep falling back on. It's like, how can you believe if your life isn't representing what you're what you're believing, what you're having faith in, especially when it's something that's so um, ingrained, so so inclusive as as like a, a religious belief in a faith, right? right? So, um, love that, Jason. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, yeah, there's two parts to this. Like, yeah, we we are dead to sin. We'll we'll talk about that even more. This coming week, uh, chapter seven really hits on this. Um, this coming Sunday, so we'll hit it again. But there is this expectation that we also have to put sin to death. So mm. we are dead to sin; we died with Christ, but we still have an obligation to put sin to death. So we're dead to it, but we've got to make it dead to us. And and I think that's the part that many of us want to want to ignore. So let me give you two quick verses to help you kind of flesh this out. And if you're leading a life group, these might be some, a uh, couple of verses to dig into with your life group this week. One of them comes from Romans chapter eight, uh, starting at verse 12. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die pause, that die there, as we've said from the beginning, is not just about physical death, because everybody's going to die. Whether you put sin to death or not, you're going you're gonna to die physically. This is about perishing. And how do we know that? Well, look what he says. You will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So again, that's why we know it's not just a physical death, because he talks about living by the Spirit. So you will live. It doesn't mean you're going to keep living in this physical body forever. He's talking about eternal life. So this is eternal life and eternal death. So if you live according to the flesh, you will perish. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So there's an obligation that we have to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And that results in us experiencing eternal life. And I love the way you talked about that a little bit, Josh, that eternal life isn't just a, something that we're cashing in when we take the dirt nap. Like the eternal life starts now. Like that began when we were buried with him in baptism and raised to new life. That was where eternal life began. So that's so powerful. But the expectation is we have to put sin to death. We got to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Uh, let me give you one more. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, again, Paul writing here, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all of these. And then he goes through the big list again. Again, he puts the onus on us. It isn't that we just get to passively experience these things. We're dead to them. And so we passively sit by and ignore them or act like they don't exist. No, no, no. Paul says, now we have to go to war 
with them. We are dead to them, but they have to become dead to us. We've got to put them to death. So we have a, an active responsibility to get rid of these things from our life. And so uh, that's that sanctification piece that we've been talking about. That's what obedience looks like. Yeah, when you were said the the war piece, I before you jumped in there, so it's a great tie-in. I thought of the Ephesians, the armor of God. You know, uh, finally, Ephesians six verse ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Mm-hmm. And we all know there's a lot of those schemes, and for some, it's very particular. Some have their schemes that he keeps coming back with that you have to keep fighting. But I love, I love verse, you know, and it says for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against, again, the rulers and authorities of, of the spiritual forces of evil. But verse 13, was, and then the beginning of 14 is always my, my favorite. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Like, you have to work. And then when you've done all that you can do, you actually got to keep doing more. Mm-hmm. Like you, and then he says, put on the the shield and the the breastplate and the, the helmet, all those things. But it is a battle. Mm-hmm. You said it is, we are being called into a battle to fight actively against the devil's schemes. And we know all very well that they are very powerful. And so if you don't suit up, you and he says, if you don't have that shield to extinguish the flames the flaming arrows that he's shooting at you. Like sometimes that's how sin feels. Like it is just coming from everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so Paul gives you this imagery to go, you actually every day got to wake up and get ready for battle. Because if you don't, likely you'll lose. You will succumb. Yeah. So again, to your point, we have to do something. We got to fight this. So it is, we are dead to it. But what that means is that we don't have to give in anymore. That's what it means that we're that we're dead to sin. It does not master us anymore. It doesn't mean that we that that we can't give into it if we want to. We have the power now to say no. So that's the big difference. So you just you just hit it. So how did this whole thing? How did he kick off in onto this topic? Again, we the verse fourteen and verse fifteen in my Bible has this space and this big header in it. Those weren't there. Paul didn't put that there. Everything you talked about from starting in verse 15 stemmed from this statement that Paul makes in verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we keep on sinning because we're under grace? And so we have this dichotomy about being under law and under grace. And what the law did, as we've learned all throughout Romans, was law revealed our sin. It showed us that we were sinners. I didn't know how bad I was until the law showed up. But here's what grace does. And again, this is the part that most of us miss. The law showed us our sin, but gave us no power to actually fight our sin. Hmm. It just it actually unleashed sin in us because it showed us our sin and again, we'll talk about this even more uh, in the next coming chapter, uh, in chapter seven, where we'll talk about coveting. I didn't even know how bad coveting was until I didn't, until I saw don't covet, and then all of a sudden, everything in me wants to covet. I didn't even know it was a thing. <laughs> so that was chapter. That's chapter seven. So that's what the law did. It actually made us worse sinners, but it gave us no capacity to fight it. He says, "But you're not under law anymore. You're under grace." And again, what he's trying to address in this text is saying, there are some people who say, well, if we're under grace, then let's just keep on sinning. Let's just keep doing the thing. I mean, if there's always grace to cover the sin, then why not keep sinning more? And what Paul's trying to help us understand is that grace isn't about just forgiving us of sin. Grace is about giving us the power to fight sin. So I love what Paul says in in Titus chapter 2. This is the one I come back to over and over again. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11, says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And we all celebrate that. Grace that brings salvation. Yay, grace. We love that. Then he says in verse 12, And it teaches us, this grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness 
and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the hope of the, I'm sorry, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus. So that same grace that offers salvation also empowers us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We didn't have the capacity to say no to ungodliness before grace came in. But, and this is the part that always kind of sting people with a little bit, I always remind them, like, if you think that you have a grace that is saving you, but you don't have a grace that's transforming you, then you don't have a grace that's saving you. Because this verse right here tells us that it is one and the same grace. The grace that brings salvation is the same grace that teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age while we wait for Jesus to come back. Like, this isn't about saying no to sin in the by and by, someday over the rainbow. This is about while we're waiting for Jesus to come back in this present age. It's the same grace. And so we, we are grateful that it saves us. And we are even more grateful that it transforms us while we wait for Jesus to return. So that's the difference between law and grace. Law shows us our sin and does nothing to help us with it. Grace comes and saves us from our sin and transforms us, empowers us to say no to it. And that's what you were trying to get us to this weekend. Yeah, and how you, you know how you, when we talked about baptism and you connected the dots to what Peter says about the forgiveness of your sins and then the gift of the Holy Spirit and how all of it is linked together. When it happens, like we said, I, I mean, I don't know, but we can never forget that we've been given the Holy Spirit. And part of what Jesus says is I'm leaving so that something greater can come that can now live inside of you. And because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, it can convict us of sin and give us the power to be like, Josh, stop doing that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to choose that. Right. And so I think we, we, we don't tap into that power. Like we have the power of God's spirit living inside of us to say no to sin and say yes to Jesus. Is it easy? By no means is it easy. Like that's what like that thought kept running through my head for all of us who have made massive life changes. Like, and you are so different than you used to be before you knew Jesus. There was no part of you that goes, oh, yeah, that was really easy. No, it was hard, but it's good. It was really good. And you've banked on those promises. And so part of it is really believing, just like you said, believing that grace can enable you. It's also believing that you actually have been given this gift. That's what Paul's whole understanding of trying to talk about the value of baptism. It was like, do you understand what you've accessed? Right? We get so worked up on the on the should we or should we not. Paul's like, no, no, you don't understand. Look what has happened because of your entering in. To Jesus, which that that theme that you build with those two jars have been so important. I think so many people seeing that over and over again that we've done. Is, I, I feel like it's helped people really go, oh, yes. And I love again, and, and you and you help drive this home right as I was. There is not the third option. Yeah, it was just so important that we drove that home for people mm. that like you don't. There isn't like, well, I don't, I don't want to be a slave to either. Yeah. Well like too bad. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And that was kind of the whole thing wrapping up the message was like, Hey, you're going to be a slave to something. Now the freedom we have is we can choose. Yeah. So what's your choice? You got to choose something. Um, so good. Yeah. Thanks for the, um, just elaborating on that a little bit more. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk, um, some about Thursday, maybe take the next 10 or 15 minutes here to talk about Thursday. So for those of you who, um, didn't join us, on Thursday, we hosted uh, just what we call Quad City Vision Night, right? An opportunity for for those of us who are connected and, and like deeply engaged here at Quad City to spend some time together. You know, we spent some time in worship and prayer, and then really for us, we just wanted to cast vision into the coming into the new year, right? Not something that only applies to the new year, but just something that, right? We feel. Um, God's impressing into our team all the way from the, the team of elders down into our staff and, and out from there. But really, it uh, what we talked about mostly came along these lines of our mission statement, right? Hey, what's our mission, mission statement? To make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere 
always. We took those two components, right? What does it look like to make more disciples? And then what does it look like to make better disciples, recognizing that these are two different things? And then what are we going to do within each of those specific specific areas? Um, so let's start just with, Josh, would you mind telling us a little bit about the more disciples piece? Hey, what are, when we say, hey, what does it look like to, to make more disciples? What are we talking about? And into this new year, how are we going to help our church do better in that area? Yeah, so more disciples is the idea. Jason did a really great job of using the text uh, of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, and Jesus' first piece in that is go and make disciples, baptizing them. So that is more people, more people following Jesus. And what we have learned, and I think what all of us would say as pastors is what we know is at times we've done a really bad job of giving people the tools to actually accomplish that. Like we tell people, go do this thing. And I don't think anyone necessarily goes, oh, I didn't know I needed to do that. I think most believers at the core of who they are, whether or not they've actually gone and done it, and that's a whole different thing, they would say, yeah, I know I'm supposed to. What we've acknowledged is the issue becomes they don't know how to. Mm -hmm. There's so many questions. So we put together a think tank, and we've been kind of talking through this for the last six weeks, and there's a bunch of different perspectives in the room. And, I, and that was the first question I asked to the group was, hey, why do you think people don't share their faith? Can I? Yeah. And you did a think tank, not of a bunch of pastors. No, yeah, no, these were people in our church. Yeah, so it was uh, some volunteers, uh, some people who've been serving. Uh, there was a couple of our staff people. Yeah, it was just people who've been following Jesus for a while and also are passionate about reaching more people. And really, that's what it came down to. They were like, I don't know if people have the tool. They, they get nervous. They don't know what to do. They get in those moments. And I think anyone listening will be, we, we have that thought. And Jason even said that. We, we get to those places and we're like, what if they ask me this question? And I think what we would say is, for the most part, most people don't ask those crazy off-the-wall questions. And even if they did, well, you've got help because that's why we, we're here. That's why as pastors, we're here. What most people want to know is, what has Jesus done for you? So really interesting. So wife and I were hanging out with a couple, uh, uh, just trying to live this principle out. Uh, just, hey, Jason said something that there's only 29% um, of people in Prescott who are actual re religious people, which is an interesting Interesting word when you use even the word religious, because mm -hmm. that opens up the box for other people to check in. Any other faith of yeah. any kind, any not, kind. not followers of Jesus. Yeah, not even followers of Jesus. But what I did that does allow us to have like a, uh, at least some kind of starting point sometimes. But anyway, so, um, and he goes, it was shocking. I think everyone was shocked. I don't know about you guys, but I saw that statistic and I was like, whoa, that's a little surprising. But then I, and then he made a comment like, Oh, yeah. Some of you would go, oh, I didn't even realize that. And you're like, well, that's the issue. You're only hanging out with the 29% who aren't believers. So we've got to believe it, too. We have to believe as a staff person. I have to. Brendan does a great job. Every time he talks about this, he goes, I have to have my own one. I have to have my own people in my life who I'm actively trying to help be better. So anyway, his wife and I are hanging out with a couple of kids, friends, all that kind of stuff. And um it always comes up, you know, if you're a pastor, people are always so curious a lot of times. Like, what do you, like, how did you become a pastor? What did that look like? And so questions just keep going. And, and I can sense, like, where the conversation is going. I've been a part of these. A lot of times people are just super intrigued. But there's also something unique that's just specifically going on maybe with this family. And they're really just searching and asking. And basically the question literally got down to, hey, tell me about Jesus. It wasn't conceptually tell me about Jesus, not prove to me Jesus is um, uh, a real. Um, it was, how has Jesus actually changed your life? And so that's what I did. I said, hey, this is what I know. Everything good about my life is because of me obeying and following Jesus. And then I just walked out and told him my story. That was it. And so part of the tool that we're going to unleash we're going to do a five-week uh, Wednesday night, sit down, let's chat, roundtables, eat dinner, drive this out, teach you this tool. The end part of the tool is 
We want to empower you to share your story because that's what people want to know. How does following Jesus make my life different? And what I was able to say is, man, I've experienced suffering, but man, I have hope. What we learned in Romans 5, I literally, it popped in my head and I was like, oh, that's what the Holy Spirit wanted me to share with her. Wanted me to share that, hey, I, I have hope because I follow Jesus. It doesn't mean suffering, and we talked about it, doesn't mean suffering isn't available or not going to happen because I'm a follower, but it gives me hope to make it through because I do have Jesus. And it was such a really cool moment and really cool opportunity for us as a family just to um, share our story and share our faith and share, hey, this is what makes the Garrett family who we are. This is why we're in Prescott, because that's we get that question. Why would you move all the way to Prescott? Man, I'm just trying to follow Jesus and be obedient. Um, So yeah, so that is the whole key of it. It's relational evangelism. Like Jay said, we're not probably standing on a street corner. We're not got the bullhorn. We're not doing that. We want to empower you to be able to create relationships. Literally, we did all of the daggone letters that we're going to try to teach you guys. We went and ate dinner with them. We chatted with them. And then it was, it came up naturally. Hey, why are you live in Prescott? Oh, we lived, we moved to Prescott because we were pastors. Oh, really? Oh, what is that? How do you become a pastor? Like, there's so many questions, you know. And again, Jason and Brendan, you guys probably get them often as well from people. They're like, what does that mean? And so, but again, it landed with, tell me about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's what people want to know. And so I am so excited that we're going to empower our church to do that. Yeah. Well, I think it's really important to just give a little more context. Like this is a family that you've just met oh, you just through met. sports, through sports, yeah. just a family. You've got four kids. They all play sports. You yeah. coach sports. So yeah. this was just a family. They had no idea you were a pastor. No they clue. just knew you uh-uh. from the sports field yep. and their kids and your kids became friends. And yeah. how do we connect? And, yeah. and that led to these other steps. Yep. And, and got you to a place where you were able to have this real conversation yeah. about, and I love the fact, oh, it breaks my heart. And I love the fact, can you do those simultaneously? That when you told her you were a pastor at Quad City. Yeah. She was like, huh? <laughs> she had no idea. Lived yeah. in this community for about a year, year and a half. So a year and a half yeah. and had no idea that our church even existed. Right. And so that comes back to this idea. Oh, yeah, we, most of us live in these bubbles where everybody knows. And I know all the churches. I know nine churches and and I know other, and most of our people know the other churches. Mm -hmm. There's a whole big segment of our community. Don't, they have no clue that this church even exists outside of this relationship that she has with you and your family. And so that opened a door that you're going to be able to continue to build upon over the next weeks and months and years. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, just trust in God. And again, what and part of what we've acknowledged is as we talk about this, my job is not to make the seed grow. My job is just to plant the seed. And what you said in the beginning of this year as we talked about our vision statement was there's no more God pray for these people to be saved. Yeah. It's God use me in these moments to have the conversation. And I'll just be honest telling you. So I'm a pastor, literally, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, and I'm like, it's like, oh, and the Holy Spirit is like, hey, big boy, you pray for these moments. This is what you live for. Literally, like part of me did get like, oh, yeah, here it is. Here we go. But then the other part is like, I just want to eat, hang out. Do we, like, uh, where's this conversation going? But then in that moment, it was like, you've been asking for conversations go. I literally teed it up for you. That's what the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit did. He made the encounter happen just because we said yes and we would be available. Yep. And part of that is, I think that's the the thing. And so again, we we just plant the seed. I don't know what happens with it. I know we're going to still hopefully try to cultivate it and water it more. Ultimately, God makes that grow. And that's what we trust in, right? And we're trying to make more followers of Jesus. And so really excited to for our whole church to kind of be a part of this this year. And and just one quick disclaimer, because if I'm listening to this and I'm a little skeptical and I don't have like what that natural gift of what we would call evangelism, right? The churchy word for it. I'm listening to this story and I'm saying, well, of course this happens to Josh. He's a pastor, yeah. right? That's yeah. not what this is about though. Nope. Like, this isn't about empowering 
people based on what we know as pastors. This is about just like being human beings. Yes. It's about talking to your neighbor, like giving them a wave when you're pulling your trash can back to your garage or whatever you do, mm-hmm. whatever your interactions is. It's not about, you know, memorizing half of the New Testament. It's not actually very complicated at all what we will be teaching during these nope. these five weeks. Like it is breaking it down to the very most simple, like irreducible minimums when it comes to to engaging people in your lives, like people that you don't already connect with. Yeah, my my wife, my yeah. my wife lit, invites a friend yesterday to church. She has been on them, praying for him, inviting yeah. him. I, she's never opened the Bible and shared a verse with them. Mm-hmm. That that's just not who she is. If you asked her, "Hey, do you have the gift of evangelism?" she would say no. But we're le- we're leaving this conversation with this family, and she's like, "I don't know what the rest of y'all are doing." My pastor told me to invite people to church and start reaching my one. I'm doing it. Like yeah. that was her like thing, and she was like. We she never, probably did it with that amount of stats. She did. I can she, totally hear she that. did. Yeah. And we never opened the Bible. Yeah. We didn't add anything yeah. memorized. You're right. It is just, again, my wife, if you asked her, that would she would never say that as her gifting. No, I think for for way too long, we've just leaned into the people that have that gift. Yeah. Because right? there's a reality. There are people with that gift. We all know them. Like, there are people that <laughs> yeah. have that gift, and they're just so dang good at it. And for someone who doesn't, it's really easy just to look and say, yeah, that's just not my thing. I'm just not that good at it. I don't know how to do it, right? That's most often what we hear. It's like, I'd love to share Jesus with people. I just don't know how to. So it's like, okay, we'll share how to, because the reality is regardless of if it's your gifting or not, it is still what you're called to do. Like it is your calling. It is no a thing that you must be obedient to as a disciple of Jesus. Go make disciples. Like Matthew 28 was a personal statement from Jesus to those who were closest to him after the like after his resurrection, saying, Hey, actually, just a couple more words before I go, right? Before my such a couple more words, go make disciples. Okay, that's it. Let's let's go do that. Right. So it's a yeah. it's a very like personal command to us, not not a church mission statement. Like right. it obviously comes from that, but but the reality as a local church, our job is to equip and empower people to do what Jesus is calling them to do. And in this case, it's, hey, what does it look like to build a relationship with your neighbor, like your actual neighbor, the one yeah. that lives next door to you, the one that you work with, the one that sits at the office across the across the or the desk across the office from you. Right. So it's really like we're going to get into the weeds of the practicalities yeah. of this. Yep. Um, and that's the thing I'm excited about. It's not ethereal. It's not just. Um, you know, right, this in theory thing, it's going to be very practical. Hey, here's what you can do starting tomorrow to, to develop some of these skills. So I'm, I'm excited about that. So let's talk a little bit, though, before we sign off here uh, on the flip side, right? So that's making more disciples. That's what it looks like for us to, to do what we call relational evangelism, just connecting with people and trying to, to draw them into Jesus uh, and help them encounter Jesus. On the flip side of that, Let's talk about making better disciples, something that we call, we just use the word discipleship, right? Taking someone that has a, a vague understanding of Jesus, has, has said, hey, I'm, I'm in, I'm going to surrender to Jesus. What does it look like to develop them in, into discipleship? So Jason, would you share just a little bit about what we'll be focusing on in this, uh, in this new year around making better disciples? Yeah, it comes back again to that Matthew 28. So Josh hit the first part, go make disciples. How? baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's getting more people into the kingdom. And then the second part of that is the better piece. He says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So again, I always like to point out, it doesn't just say teach them everything I've commanded you. It's teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So it's that, again, we're Coming back to what you t- talked about this weekend, Josh, it's that obedience piece. There is this expectation that we're going to o- actually obey Jesus. Like if he is our master, if he is our Lord, then we are going to do what he says. And so this is how each of us become better disciples of Jesus through obeying what he taught us. And so we've just tried to figure out, okay, what's what what is the thing? What 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 can we do? to actually see the greatest fruit of obedience? How do we actually become more like Jesus? And what we've discovered is that it happens in relationships. Like, again, I know for all three of us, we when we look back at our faith, the reason we are the way we are in our faith is because of a person or some people that we got connected with who were followers of Jesus, and they pushed and prodded and pulled us helped us become more like Jesus. And so it's that relational 
discipleship piece. Um, whether it's an accountability, it's somebody who called us out, it's somebody who pushed us to do the disciplines, but there was this relationship that we we got in, and that's what drove us to obey. Now, we can sit and, and get taught all sorts of things. Again, one of the things that we say here all the time is that most of us are educated beyond our obedience. We know way more than we're actually doing, and so most of us don't need another Bible study. We don't need another devotional book. What we actually need is somebody to sit across the table from us and say, hey, are you actually putting this into practice? Um, so we'll talk about this again at the beginning of the year, but it's really about how do we get people in our church into these types of relationships where they're actually being challenged to put into practice the things that God has called us to do. So um, so we're going to launch into what we're calling discipleship groups. And so this will be um, gender specific. So the goal is to have five guys in a group who are doing this, who are looking at each other every single week and saying, hey, where are you being obedient? Where are you not being obedient? Where do you see Satan keep tempting you? And where do you keep falling for the lies? Where is it that you are uh, need to be putting sin to death, as Colossians 3, 5 says, where are you not putting it to death? You're letting it live. You're trying to manage it instead of murdering it. Like, we're not called to manage sin. We're called to murder sin. So where are you trying to manage it instead of murdering it? So we have to have these people in our life who are doing this. And so this, uh, Brendan, as you know, we this came out of our, um, our elders retreat this year. It's like our elders have been doing this for the last year and a half together. And it's like, man, this is what we need everybody in our church doing. We need these kinds of relationships of people who are following Jesus, teaching one another how to obey Jesus. So that's what we're doing. It's the drive we're going to be pushing for all of our church. We want everybody to be in these types of relationships. So we're going to begin rolling them out um, at the beginning of the year and would really, really, really encourage everyone who's listening. If you consider yourself a part of Quad City, we're going to ask you to take a big, giant, scary step and open up your life to be transparent because this is where the transformation happens. It is the Spirit of God in and through each other that changes us. And it's allowing the church to be the church, to be the place where we actually experience the gospel with and for each other. And that means the correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Like it's not just learning stuff. It's correcting, rebuking, and training. That's what 1 Timothy 3.16 says. The, the word of God is useful for correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Like we got to be in relationships where that's happening. And so we're going to be driving everybody toward that at the beginning of the year. Uh, so that we can all become better disciples of Jesus. Yeah, Brady, I know me and you talk about this and you share it all the time. I am so grateful for a leadership team, a group of elders who live out the practices of the gospel. It makes a difference for our staff. It makes a difference for our church and that they would go, how do we, because they've seen the personal benefits of it, how do we get this for others? Right? It's not just that they read this in a book. They actually have been doing this and been holding one another accountable. So for me, it's like that group has modeled trying to live like Jesus, and they're going, we love our church so much, we want to make sure they can do this. And that means we may have to push away some things, and that's okay We could, because they have seen the value of what this is. I, I personally, you know, I know we talk about it all the time, I'm just so grateful for them and, mm-hmm. and who they are for our church and just so excited. It, it doesn't, for those of you who maybe have not, it doesn't happen everywhere. That's not always the case. And so just so incredibly grateful that they're raising the bar for us to challenge us to be more like Jesus. Yeah, that's that's so good. I think bottom line, the reality is um, I, like the hard stance that we take as a church is there is nothing more important than us than making to us than making more and better disciples. Like that's that's who we are. It's what we feel called to do by God and the word that he's given to us, that's, those are the most important things. What does it look like to make more and better disciples? And I'm just, you know, anytime we take this hard stance and we try to run after this thing as as much as we possibly can, which is what we feel called to do, um, like it's going to cause change and change causes tension. And there's going to be things that are hard, right? Going and trying to connect with your neighbor is a hard thing to do if it's not natural to you. 
you know, changing some some church programs to make a little, them a little more discipleship focused. It's a hard thing to be a part of if you loved those old things or if, if you love the Bible study, that sort of thing. Like it is a a hard thing that we're going to be doing and a, a a shift in direction or focus rather. Like the direction's the same, the focus is a little tighter. Um, but the reality is like it's all in the name of making more and better disciples. Like that's the that's the thing we're running after. So I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see again just uh the stories that come out of this uh these sorts of um focuses and initiatives where it's like, hey, let's try these things, let's be real focused, let's pray about them, let's let's run after them. And then again, the encouraging part is starting to hear the stories of transformation that come out of them. So I, I can't wait till we get to that part. We're yep. a few months out, but definitely. And I would say out. for sure, start praying. If you were listening to this podcast, you're pretty bought in probably to who we are right. as a church. We are saying we're going to try to take some major ground for the kingdom of God in the Quad City in 2023 and beyond. And our enemy does not like that. Right. And so what we need the most is to just bathe this in prayer to, to set us up for for just whatever God and however God uses this. So, man, be praying over the next month for how God's going to use this for our church, but even just you individually and what he may be calling you to. Yeah, so good. All right, guys. Well, like Jason said, we'll be sharing a little more in detail on the first of the year. So be sure to join us uh, Jan 1. The actual first. Like January 1st. We will be having church Sunday morning, all typical service times. Join us for that. It's a, a bunch of details that you're not going to want to miss. So, so apparently they do a ball drop at 10. So maybe no, no, you should, no, no, or a no, boot no, no. drop. Boot. So maybe you should go, go to the 10 o'clock. So you <laughs> yeah, can come to church. Go to the 10 o'clock <laughs> if you're hanging out downtown on Whiskey Row. Probably you're going to have a bad time if you go to the midnight one and try to show up at 8 a.m. So, all right, guys. Thanks. We'll chat soon. Amen. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us for episode 19 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I think it's an understatement to say that our team is excited to see what God does, the way that he moves into this new year as we run after how it looks to make more and better disciples right here in the Quad City area. Like I mentioned, don't forget to join us on January 1st at any of our services in Crescent or Crescent Valley. You can also tune in online at 8 a.m., 9.30, or 11 as we share more details about what that actually looks like. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns around our messages from Sunday, feel free to join us at quadcity.church/romans where you can submit any of those questions to be answered right here on the podcast. We hope this episode added value in your walk with Jesus and, and gives you some applicable steps to take this week to grow your relationship with him. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you again real soon.